Welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast, where we mix business, law of attraction, spirituality, and well-being with great guests and phenomenal stories. You'll hear hints, tips, and up-to-the-minute information on digital communication from an expert in her field. Pearl has some wonderful individuals in her networks, and she will be interviewing them all at some point in the future. Enjoy your listening. Well, hello and welcome to another of the Pearls of Wisdom podcast episodes. Now, today, I'm very, very lucky to be speaking to one of my VIP guests. You'll have heard her speak at the International Women's Day series. Um, We got on so well, I've asked this lady to come back and be a special guest on a regular basis because she has so many wonderful Pearls of Wisdom to share. Today, I am speaking to the wonderful Kerry Hoffman, who is CEO of Hoffman Digital, where it's a connection of companies that are linked, that are bringing um, human experience together. Is that what you said? Um, can we, can you- oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. A collection of companies that is igniting the human experience at work. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. So, this is me <laughs> writing quickly. I couldn't read all my writing when I wrote it. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have you back as a guest because I know the last podcast we did, we could have talked for so long. We had so much, so many synchronicities and your knowledge. It's just wonderful to hear your experience. And I know we talked when we were first saying about what we're going to talk about for this for this episode. And we've said we're going to talk about digital transformation because you are the digital, the tech guru. You have so many things that you can share and it's something that you and I have in common. So I think it's going to be a nice topic that we can share. So absolutely. Brilliant. So first of all. Kerry, what does digital transformation mean to you? Because I know the way things have changed the way we first started working with digital transformation is completely different to how we see it today. So, can Yeah, that's you, so true. Could you share your viewpoint, please? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for I know for some people, the whole word, word, word or phrase digital transformation annoys people. I get that, right? Um, but let's try to put that aside because we have to call it something in order to talk about it. So for me, digital transformation is is huge. It's one of the biggest transformations that we're going through in the last 300 years. And I feel like we're lucky to actually be alive at this time because what's happening is we've actually exited the industrial age and we've entered the next age. And every time you move from one age to the next, there's a trigger that sets it off. Okay. So as an example, um, you know, we move from hunting and gathering, which started like 10,000 years ago or like longer than that. 10,000 years ago, we moved um, into the agricultural age and the trigger was stationary farming and primitive irrigation. And what happened was we used to hunt and gather, right? We used to wander around and people then when we had stationary farming and primitive irrigation as the trigger, people started settling in vid- villages and towns. And they started um, focusing on a single thing that they did. So maybe they had a, a, they baked bread, right? And so they baked bread for everybody in the town and they got everything else they needed from someone else. So 
the key here is it was a completely different way of working. And maybe it was the first time work was kind of invented. Then we moved from the agricultural age, we started to, <laughs> to the industrial age around like 1760, the mid 1700s is when that happened. The trigger was machines, right? And it started with like textile machines and things like that. And again, the way that people work changed completely and business sped up. That is also something that happens in every age. So people started working in um, bigger groups, right? And eventually this is where corporations were born. And for most of it, it's, it's what we know about work. It's the, it's the industrial age. And the industrial age has lasted, you know, um, this long, right? 250 years, 300 years, something like that. Well, the next age was triggered by an exponential growth in modern technology. Yeah. That was the trigger. And that actually started around the year 2000. Now, it didn't gain momentum until around 2007, 2008. But between 2000 and that time, there were digitally native companies. Um, Salesforce is a great example that started using this modernly architected technology to build new platforms to do work on. Okay. Um, and then all these companies that were born in the industrial age, which are many that, you know, we've worked for, right, in our past, um, they needed to transform. And we're 20 years in, right, 21 years in, and there's a lot of companies who still haven't transformed. Now, and there's a lot of companies actually that have gone away or almost gone away completely, right? Blockbuster went away. You know, there's all these examples. And, you know, people are like, oh, Kodak, everybody uses that example. But one thing I like to point out about Kodak, right, they got disrupted by digital photography. They actually invented digital photography. And a lot of people don't know that. So not only do you have to like innovate and come up with new things, you have to be willing to disrupt your own business model. So the reason why they invented it, but the reason why they didn't like go into it full blown is because it would have completely cannibalized their film business. But what happened their film business got largely cannibalized anyways, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but here's, here's the thing. Business is speeding up. We all feel that. And the way that work is conducted is completely different. Yeah. And I think the, the catalyst that we've all been shoved into the next stage because of COVID and COVID, you know, in the pandemic. Um, so the interesting thing about the pandemic is a lot of companies who said, oh, we don't need to be digital. You know, our industry isn't being impacted by that. When the pandemic hit and everyone had to shift to working from home, they realized, right, that they needed to be more digital than they were. Does that make sense so far, Pearl? Yeah, and I completely, completely agree with you there. And it is, I think the pandemic as well has moved things on faster than that progression would have happened anyway. But I think so many people are seeing it where you see from the industrial age to where we are now when we're in a digital age, you get that worry where people have got these set um, ideas and they will have certain experiences and that's where their career is taking them. And I think the pandemic has shown us we all need to pivot. We all need to take right. our tools and see them as transferable because you can use them in a different way. 
because the industrial age showed us that yes everyone worked with industry a lot of it was working almost on on a line where you'd actually be working in a certain way whereas now with digital we can do this from anywhere as long as you have some form of form of computer and some form of access to the internet you can work from anywhere you can do anything and it's finding that difference and yes that's how people grow isn't it it is absolutely and actually you've you've touched on two of two very important things there the first one was you started to touch on mindset right and and it's in our mind how we always worked and we have to change the way that we're thinking about things in order to make the switch. So, um, and I, you know, let me, let me just take a little side note for a second. Um, cause I think it's important. So I said, I'm CEO of Hoffman digital, right? It's a collection of companies. One of those companies is get digital velocity on my logo on the screen there. Um, and get digital velocity works with large companies, big, we like working with big old companies that have a lot of legacy. And now when I say legacy, people think technology, right? But it's not just technology, it's mindset. It's how you, how you have your relationship with your customer and it's ways of working that include three areas. But I want to go back to mindset for a second because this is so, so important. So we, um, we do a lot of um, teaching of what this is, right? Because you have to unlearn the way you've been doing things. Yeah and relearn the new way. And the first thing that's so important is your mindset. Well, so we say that it's important to practice a digitally expanded mindset. And there are five aspects of a digitally expanded mindset. And so we'll, you know, we'll teach this and we'll teach this in more detail. And, you know, maybe in another podcast, we can go through it in a lot of detail. But the first, the first one is that you have to see the possibility in the digital era. That's the first one. Like you have to really believe that it's there. And I brought up Get Digital Velocity because before the before the pandemic, it was really hard for us to convince large companies that, you know, you're running out of time. You need to do this now. Right. It just it was hard for people to understand. Um, but there's some silver linings of COVID, and I'll mention one of those in a minute, but let me just briefly touch on the five aspects. The second one is you have to believe in the power of modern technology. And the way I the reason we say this is because legacy technology is architected very differently than modern technology. So the, the company Salesforce is a great example because the people who founded Salesforce used to work for the oracles of the world and Siebel CRM. They used to work for SAP and they were frustrated because they knew there was a better way um, in to re-architect the software, but getting those big companies to change when they have such a large installed base and so much revenue is coming from what's already installed is really difficult. So they left and they built Salesforce and they built it on completely different technology, the modernly architected technology. So that's aspect two. Aspect three is that you have to have an abundance mentality. So one of the things about the industrial age is competition and really the whole way you structured everything was based on scarcity, okay? And so you held on to your IP, you didn't share it. You fought against the competition because there was a limited number of talent. There was a limited uh, amount of customers. But in the digital era, it's about abundance. There's more than enough customers to go around. There's more than enough um, 
you know, sales to make. There's actually more than enough talent out there. We'll probably get into that a little bit later. Um, you even you even partner with your competitors, and we're seeing that, right? Completely different. So the fourth aspect is that you're comfortable with ambiguity because this much transformation causes a lot of ambiguity, right? There's just a ton of it. And I'm sure you see that, right, Pearl? You see the ambiguity? Yeah. I mean, that where, where I do the digital communication, half of my work comes from change communication and actually following that pattern and that arc and showing people where that story goes and who is the protagonist and where what to expect and it's amazing because every time you do it it's slightly different because it impacts in a different way depending on which business and company you're working with yeah and every time you do it is often right because you got to communicate at least seven to ten times about a change before people really get it like they might not even even heard you the first couple times right because it, it wasn't making any sense and that's that actually leads us into the fifth aspect which is um a digitally expanded mindset focuses on a growth outlook. So you're all about growth and how can you grow fast? And part of that is this learning mindset. So in order to have a a lifetime learning mindset, you have to believe that you don't know everything and you have to believe as much as you know, there's more to know and somebody else is ahead of you, right? I think that's one of the most important aspects of that. So this whole notion of, you know, making this transition, if you're a you know, decades and decades old company is that mindset within the company and within your people and, and within the leadership has to change or you're not, you're not going to be able to even see what you need to do. And that's why mindset, we always teach about mindset first. Does that make sense? Definitely, definitely. And all I've, I'm, all I keep thinking coming through everything you've said, whenever I work in corporate, they're always working to a world-class strategy and they have this idea, they have this world-class. And by the time they finish, normally it's a five-year cycle. By the time they finish on that fifth year, there's a different world-class strategy and they start all over again. I mean, we've seen from digital, it could be that they choose to outsource all of their IT into their, their digital technology, outsource it to others. So often you'll get a Hewlett Packard or someone that will actually come right. in all of your printers and they'd look after your software for you or whatever. And then in the next five years, they say, no, we're going to bring it all in house. So you have the people that work for that. If they sometimes they bring on board those people that have been working for the other companies so that they keep that progression, sometimes they go out and completely flip and change who who and what it is that they need to work for. And that's where when you were touching on that whole thing about how you actually put that message in out and how the call to action, wasn't it? Where you Yeah, yeah. With that. Absolutely. Well now, you know, the outsourcing of IT is really interesting too, because that whole outsourcing concept started in the in the late in the industrial age, right? And um and so the companies that do that kind of support, right? The the ones you outsource to they also have to transform. So their business model is kind of built on, we're going to keep all your legacy stuff going, right? We're going to keep it up to date. We're going to keep it, but up to date just means it's still legacy. (laughs) It's still architected in the old way. And what actually needs to happen is all that technology needs to be replaced. Um, And you have to move from like this, this world of big, 
huge applications to instead workflows that you can change on a regular basis because business models change regularly and um, the way your processes need to change on a regular basis with the speed of business right now. So you, you know, maybe you take it back because you're seeing that legacy is, you know, holding you down and your out the outsourced company that you've gone to isn't transforming fast enough themselves. Right. Cause we're asking them to completely change their business models too. So, so mindsets first, and then you have to look at, I said the ways of working are completely different, Right completely different from the industrial age to the next age. And the most important thing, I can tell you the least important thing is the technology, okay? It's important, but it's not the main thing, by far the main thing. The most important thing is how you interact with the customer, yes. okay? So there was, a, there was definitely a focus on customer in the industrial age, no doubt, right? Things like net promoter scores and those type of things were developed in the industrial age. But the way that you work with customers has to be, you have to practice what we call extreme customer centricity. And I'll explain what that means. Um, our definition of extreme customer centricity is you know the customer to a very deep level. You understand your customer's issues. And if you're a B2B business, then you understand your customer's customer's issues. Okay. So let me explain that. If you're like an uh, HVAC company, you sell heating, air conditioning, and cooling, um, then you often will sell um, to, and you're working with big commercial businesses, you're selling to people who own buildings, but you have to understand that business owners, occupants, and what the issues of the occupants of that building are. Even though you're not selling to the occupants, you're selling to the business owner. That's what I mean by your customers' customers' issues. Then not only do you understand your customers' issues, but if your customers' issues have nothing to do with your products and services, you still step up to solve them. That is completely different, right, than the industrial age. You, you have such a close relationship with the customer that even if you have tens of thousands of employees, every employee has a touch point with the customer. Okay. Everybody does. You actually start to organize in cross-functional teams that focus on a micro segment of the customer base if you're a big company. And your customer starts to feel like they're part of your company. They're on some of your teams. They help you with your strategy. Okay. And you're agile enough and digital enough that you can change your business models and your products and your services to solve those customers' issues. I know that that's a lot. I know I just said like a ton. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to pause and let you comment and see if you have any questions. Well, I I was just saying yes, because everything you're talking about is what you and I do on a daily basis. So to me, it it makes perfect sense. Yep. to the listeners, they might be thinking, but I don't get that. It, and we go back to the pandemic. Like we said, a lot of this change was forced very quickly because of the way people were doing business. I think we've spoken before, and I've said on quite a few of my podcasts recently, here in the UK, we had some really top <coughs> um, large 
department stores that have gone under. They've, I mean, we've got one, one case in point, the name Debenhams. Now, to us, has been in business for 250 years. They yeah. have had bricks and mortar. And because they had an online option, but they weren't pushing it so much. And because of COVID and lockdown, where we weren't allowed to go and shop uh, into physical bricks and mortar, everyone went to online. We are seeing our high streets now where all our shops are and the businesses that worked from bricks and mortar, that is all changing. That oh, yeah. We're, we're seeing some of our some of these large um, department stores, yes, they're selling off and instead of having other people that do the same thing come on board, our, our councils and local authorities are actually looking to change it to make it doctor's surgeries or something like that so you've got or even putting it out to make it more accommodation so that we turn it into flats and things so that Mm -hmm. and it's changing and this is knowing and being aware as you've said yes seeing what's happening and go with it and see how things will change because if you don't go with the flow and see and see those little in in those little things that are changing it will come as a big shock and then your business won't necessarily survive. Whereas if you're always aware and can see, you can pivot. And pivot's one of my favourite words as well. Yeah. Business and what you do pivots to suit the current market and to ensure that you can deliver exactly what your client or customer needs. Yeah, absolutely. So we also, we have a, um, in the US, we have a a uh, store like that called Boston store that went out of business as well. Right. So there's a, and there's, there's many examples. I like using, I like using restaurants as an example of, you don't have to be, you don't have to have the technology to practice um, these new digital practices. Okay. It helps, but you don't have to remember it starts with mindset. So we have examples um, of restaurants in the U S We're going to narrow this down. We're going to say that before the pandemic and the lockdown hit, you were a restaurant that was a sit down only. You didn't even do carry out. Okay. So sit down only people came in, you know, people made reservations, came in, serve their customers. And now there's a lockdown. There were these, these types of restaurants. We saw two different reactions. We saw restaurant owners who were actually tweeting you know, we're doomed. We're going to go out of business. We can't have any customers, you know, oh my God. And they did, they went out of business, right? We've seen a lot of restaurants go under. Then we saw examples of restaurants that said, oh my God, we're locked down. What can we do about it? Let's get all our minds together of the people that work at our restaurant and figure out what we can do. And there's examples of restaurants. Um, I think this one, there was one of the first ones we heard about was in Seattle, It was actually a high-end Mexican restaurant, which there aren't a lot of those, um, but there are some. And um, and they did they only had sit down. Yeah, it's unusual for a Mexican restaurant to not do carryout, but they didn't. So what did they do? Well, they took their hostesses and they started getting them to answer the phone. They took their servers and they had their servers start to pack the food. And they didn't have a drive-through, but hey, they have a parking lot. So they created a little, you know, just overhead tent with with a table that you can come drive through (laughs) without a drive through window, open the front door, put a tent out there. It's not a big deal. And in March of 2020, this particular restaurant did three times 
the business that they had done in March of 2019. So they just, and you know, they they didn't even have an app. They didn't even have a website that you could order from. They had a website, but they, you couldn't order from it. But they just said, hey, call us for an order and pick it up curbside, right? Completely different like mindset. Like instead of we're doomed, this is an opportunity. How can we serve our customers? Our customers love us so much that they called and said, can't you do something? We, you know, we want your food. And then, and then they did. It's such a great story. It is, and it's where you said about the abundance mindset, and you mm-hmm. look at that, and you've you've given the two examples, and then it's, I mean, I'm sure both you and I will use like that self fulfilling prophecy ideology because both are right when this when yes. you have a mindset, or oh, we're doomed. Well, they're right because they've put that mindset out there. They're not. They're coming from lack. They're not looking at abundance, self-fulfilling prophecy. They will be doomed because they're doing nothing about it. Right. Flip that to the mindset of abundance. What can we do to change? How can we? What can we do with this situation so we can work better from it? What can we learn from it? And that's that's the abundance. People stay in business and they grow from there. And there are so many things. I mean, where. So many companies now have their um, employees are working from home. Yes, you're going to find maybe there isn't the need for as many um, office space because your employees will still work from home. But there is the need because something I've seen over and over again, when you're in an office, you have that check. You sit down and they do an ergonomic check to check that you're sitting correctly at your desk. You're doing everything. When you're working from home and you're sitting from the kitchen table and you're sitting at an angle and the chair isn't supporting you, that's causing other problems. The amount of people that I've heard are saying they've got problems with the back, with their neck, because they're sitting incorrectly. Well, that's where people pivot with their larger companies or for those those therapists that maybe haven't had work through lockdown. This is what they start to offer for corporates that they can do online videos showing people how to sit, how to look after their physical body so that they're not in pain so that they're not going to have future problems because of something because that's that's making the best out of a worse situation almost isn't it and it's seeing it is transformation because there are so many people so so many businesses i speak to now and they are and they're looking at different contracts and i say well is it working from home or in the office and they said we're going to stay working from home because the overheads are cheaper and you, <laughs> you can plow it back into business as opposed to paying for office space well the uh, the overhead is cheaper and the productivity is higher yeah. and you know there this whole work at home thing i mean i've been i i've, I've spent 32 years in corporate america and I was a very early adopter as a leader of letting people work from home, right? Even when it wasn't part of the policy. So, you know, we would figure out how to make it happen without, you know, no one ever walked through that, especially when I was, when the second half of my career was IT, not the first half. Um, But especially in IT, nobody walks through the IT department. So nobody is going to know if my IT people are working from home, right? so I was an early adopter. And my point was that for for it had to be, you know, in the high 80%, 90%, 95% of the people who work from home are going to be more productive. That was my point. I really felt it was 100%, but, you know, I would get killed if I said that, right? So, 
So I didn't say that. But honestly, everybody who worked from home for me was more productive. I, if I use my own stats, it was 100%. And I think, you know, I think more leaders opened their eyes to that during the pandemic that, oh my gosh, we are still getting, you know, getting things done. And what what's slowing us down is not our people. What's slowing us down are, well, maybe some mindsets, but um, what's slowing us down are antiquated processes and antiquated technology. And that, that moves us um, a little bit more into the different ways of working. Um, oh, you know what? I wanted to make one more point though. I wanted to make a point about work from home in that everybody, every company that I talked to, no matter how big or small, figured out how to work from home in anywhere from 24 hours to two weeks, depending on how digital they were to start with, right? And I didn't talk to anyone. It was over two weeks. Now, was it running smoothly at the end of those two weeks? No, but everybody was working from home, right? You have a lot of call centers where people were on desktops and getting them laptops, you know, may have been a little stretched out a little longer. But then I asked the leaders in large companies, if you plan that as a project, you said, we're going to work 100% from home. How long would you plan that project for? And everybody gives me an answer somewhere between 12 and 18 months to figure out how to work 100% from home. And then several that are very honest, right, said, we would have never did it because there would have been too many obstacles thrown up and naysayers and it would have never happened. I said, but isn't it interesting that we did it in two weeks? And how was it for you? Oh, it was a lot smoother than we thought. The technology was a lot more capable than we thought and people were a lot more capable than we thought. It's like, ah, so when we had to do it, and nobody could throw up any obstacles because you had to do it. There wasn't a choice. You were able to do it in two weeks. Yeah. There's so much more that you could do in weeks instead of quarters and years. And that's the big one of the big differences between a digital company and a big old industrial age company is they move a lot faster. And they work completely differently to do that. So we talk about, at Get Digital Velocity, we talk about three keys to achieving digital velocity. And these are the three different categories of things that you do to um, work differently in this next stage that we're in. So the first one is talent. There's an abundance of talent out there if you use talent capacity planning in a very different way. And you leverage alternate sources of talent. So if you're in the industrial age, you have this mindset that there's a war on talent. You have to get the best people that are um, employees of your company. In the digital age, um, in a digital company, they see an abundance of talent out there. They see their employees. They see their contractors, you know, but they also have freelancers. It's a little bit different than a contractor. They do crowdsourcing, right? They partner with universities. Partnering with other companies was something in the industrial age, but they but you expand those partnerships to universities. Some of that happened in the industrial age. Customers, you partner with your customers, you partner with your competition. Yeah. Okay. And you also augment your talent with artificial intelligence. Now I know this is like a controversial thing, right? Um, oh, AI is going to replace people. Well, not really. AI. So imagine this. You're, you're a big old company working in departmental silos, and now you have to get people to work in cross-functional teams that are, part, that are focused on a micro-segment of the customer base. 
you have to free up the mundane routine tasks they did in their departmental silo if you're going to do that. If every person in your co company is going to have a touch point with the customer, they actually have to spend time with the customer. You have to free them up to do that. There's new things to do when you run a digital company. You need your employees to do those new things. You have to free up their other stuff. So that's why augmenting them with artificial intelligence and automation is a good thing. And it's replacing a lot of what they did, hopefully, because there's a lot of new things they need to do in your company as you transform to digital. So the way that you utilize talent is completely different than it was in the industrial age. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. And it is, I love the bit where you, where you said about um, AI and actually bringing in that. And so many people have been scared of it. But when you mm -hmm. realize that AI will actually do the quick things, the simple repetitive things that as individuals, a lot of people don't want to do. And if you've got that outsourced to a, to an augmented um, piece of software, that then frees your workforce up to help move. They can do the different training that's needed so they can then move on. And then they have those skills that will take themselves and the company and the business forward. And it's understanding that. And it's right. so different. And it's, it's great. It's great knowing that. It and, is, isn't it? Yeah. It, well, it, and I think, you know, you can take a and I think you always have to remember the extreme customer centricity piece of this, okay? So you may automate a bunch of stuff from your call center, but then you have to upskill and retrain your call center to have a different conversation with the customer. Yeah. So instead of having this conversations with the customer about things that aren't working or where's my order and they have to look it up for you and there's five systems they have to look it up in and the whole conversation is what, what happened to my order? Why don't I have it yet? If that was a lot more automated, then you could easily answer that question in the first minute, and then you can have a conversation with the customer about how's everything else going? Is there anything else we can do for you? Are you having any issues? What's your biggest issue you're having within the company right now? And it's a completely different conversation. You still need the call center, but it's a different conversation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And that's almost that. Then you teach your call center to almost do the upsell. Like they say that once right. you've got that information, either you're upselling to sell more products or you get feedback from that customer as to where there's a niche in the market that you can then expand the business to a different way as well. And it, it's yeah. Exactly. And it's understanding and knowing and it's going back to my favorite, one of my favorite words using the word pivot again, where you actually have that idea and you can pivot on something because of what your customers tell you and the feedback and learning to grow from there. Um, and that's exactly what digital companies do. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm going to give you an example because there's all kinds of examples of digitally native companies working this way. Right. But what about big old established companies working this way. So Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina serves a very rural population. What do they do? They sell insurance, right? Um, and when that insurance gets utilized, then they have to pay the providers, correct? So they re-looked at their business. They were doing a digital transform. They were deliberately doing a digital transformation. And they said, what do we, you know, what do we really sell? Are we selling insurance? Well, no, what we really should be selling is health, right? And the healthier our population is, the better. But our population is very rural, so they don't have access to all the things that, um, you know, 
would benefit a rural population. They don't have as much um, access to preventative care. They don't have, they, some areas, they don't have access to healthy food. So they actually started um, standing up clinics and standing up farmers markets. Like they're in the insurance business, right? They're completely changing their products and services to get their population healthier because it benefits both the population and their profitability, right? It's a win-win situation. So they, they completely change it and they couldn't do that. They couldn't understand that if they didn't start freeing up people's time to spend more time with the customer. Yep. I mean, the thing when you were saying about working with um, competitors, but because I love my Apple products, that's the first thing that came to mind. When Apple first brought out the iPad, when they moved on, they went to Adobe. They went to Microsoft and worked with them like they had that their their pen would work with to annotate on a Microsoft document. So there's lots of different things that you can do from there that is is going to help. And it's it does make you stop and think because there was a time like with Adobe, um, Apple, you couldn't run Flash on Apple because they wouldn't because it was an Adobe product. And yet right. now they've brought everything so you can work it together because they complement each other. And it means that they both stay in business and that they both help each other that way. Absolutely. You got it. That is the cooperation you see between competitors and the in digital companies. So it's really awesome. Um, so we talked about talent. That was the first key and the first different category of different ways of working. The second one is operations. So digital operations are really important. So we started talking about this um, already. Industrial age companies, um, they're very siloed in departments, right? Departments were born to make us more efficient, the manufacturing line, all those things. Um, and it made total sense in the industrial age. But we're moved beyond that. And in the industrial age, instead of being organized in these departmental silos, you actually start moving everyone, and I mean everyone, to cross-functional teams that are focused on a micro-segment of the customer. Now, I say micro-segment because I keep referring to big, large companies because small and medium-sized companies are already, right? If small company is a cross-functional team, right? Yeah. yeah. They're like one cross-functional team and everyone has contact with the customer. In a big company, you got to flip everybody into these cross-functional teams and start getting them um, accustomed. You have to teach them how to meet with the customer and get them accustomed to doing that. And so the operations are very different because you need to automate a lot of the stuff that you did in the silos. Um, That's key. You need to move from a waterfall um, methodology to an agile methodology because your business models and your processes are going to change on a regular basis. You have to be willing to unlearn things. You have to be willing to get rid of some old policies and put new policies in place. Um, I think this is really important. And I also think it's worth saying that agile methodology done right is awesome. It's mandatory and it for a digital company And it has more discipline, more documentation, more testing, and more security than Waterfall does. Um, And so I I have a lot of debates with people on this. Oh, we tried Agile and it didn't work. And I'm like, well, then you didn't do it right. You know, I'm going to be very transparent in your face because this is a huge, huge change. And if 
agile didn't work for you, you didn't do it right. And you shouldn't be offended if that's said, because if you have a learning mindset, you are willing to unlearn, you're willing to learn from your failures, you're willing to see, oh, maybe maybe we didn't do it right, right? Maybe someone else knows more than we do and we should get help, Yeah. right? And it's, it's going to the practitioners that understand it properly, because like you, yes, I love Agile and the way it works, but it's got to be done properly. There's certain large corporates, some of the government departments I've worked with, they've taken one idea from Agile right. and then added bits of their own and they've called it all Agile methodology. And you go in and you understand what true Agile is. You're saying, but that isn't quite how it works. And, <laughs> and then they want, because some of it, especially with government, because waterfall was the preferred way and that's how they've been taught, Prince 2, waterfall. And so they would add a bit of waterfall to a bit of agile and wonder why things didn't work because they weren't right. following the whole, the whole methodology start to finish. Yeah, exactly. And Pearl, you can't take, you can't take 18, 24, 36 months to flip from waterfall to agile. You can't do that. (laughs) And I'm speaking from experience. Okay. Before I went off and started some companies, um, I worked, I was the CIO for a $15 billion business unit of a multinational corporation. And IT just had a bad reputation. We needed to change it. And one of the, so we decided we, and we need to go completely digital. Okay. And this was like, gosh, how many years ago now? This was like, seven years ago now. Okay. So, um, (laughs) so when, when we started going from waterfall to agile, I told everybody we want to do this in six months, but for the first four or five months, they really weren't like doing it. Okay. So people started telling me they were doing hybrid agile and I'm like, what exactly is hybrid agile? And they explained it to me and I said, Oh, great. So you're not doing any of the discipline from waterfall anymore. And you're not doing any of the discipline from Agile. So, I mean, it's a mess. It's not going to work. So we we actually put in place, um, we put in place um, some metrics and some key pieces of Agile that needed to be done before you could say your project was being done Agile. You couldn't start a new project unless you were doing Agile and you were doing this uh, this minimum set of ceremonies and metrics. And I told everybody... I, and, and I'm a very supportive personal leader. I'm a servant leader. So it was very hard for me to say this, but I said, you know what? I am throwing you in the agile ocean. You're either going to sink or swim. Yeah. You're either going to sink and you're out of here or you're going to swim and you're going to do it. And they all just looked at me really wide eyed because like I would never say anything like that to people. I said, but here's the thing. I'm giving you more lifeboats, life jackets, all this thing. So there's no reason. There's zero reason for you to think unless you are resisting this change. Yeah. Because you are giving all these, you know, all these safety devices, you're thrown in the ocean, but you got all these safety devices, use them. (laughs) Get trained, be certified, work with the coaches that we have for you. Don't resist it. Don't change the methodology (laughs) to be hybrid. (laughs) So kind of interesting. So there's, so I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm looking at the time and I know you have a meeting to go to. So we're going to have to 
bring this to a close. So yeah. So, you know, the only, the only um, third category we didn't talk about was technology is the third category. You have to adopt modernly architected technology. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the third one. And um, there's some, you know, there's some interesting information on that one. I, I talk about the digitally rich and the digitally poor when I talk about technology um, the digitally rich are people who are, you know, very digital companies and they're using all these new technologies and new processes, DevOps and AI and ML and blockchain and blah, blah, blah. Right. And if you're digitally poor, if you haven't made the transformation in your company yet, then you see all that as buzzwords and you start to justify how, um, you know, how it isn't that different. And, and it actually is completely different. Right. It's completely different. Software as a service is not SOA of the past. Yeah. Platforms as a service are not SOA. And if you don't understand how different it is and then maybe start to get into why. Or if you're not a technical person and you're not in the technical departments within your company, which aren't just IT anymore, then just know that modern technology, modernly architected technology can be implemented in days and weeks. And it does, it's intuitive to learn. You don't have to go to a training course to learn how to use it. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's really the technology piece in a nutshell. Oh, this is wonderful. But some of this, like some of the subjects we've covered, they could be podcasts on their own because. <laughs> yes, they could. And like we've said, and I know you've got lots of good things coming for the future. So we are going to make sure as you're launching new things, we're going to link these podcasts to that so we can do a massive shout out and help promote things as you're as you're starting new ideas as well yeah that sounds good and I'll have to give you some links too because I have some free resources um, on my Hoffman Digital um, website if you go to the brilliant tab I I, because I wrote a chapter in a book on this I'm a number one um, best-selling business author as well so there's a resource out there called brilliant and it actually has three short videos on this topic um, with a resource guide on those five aspects of a digitally expanded mindset. So, oh, Brilliant. And I will make sure that I include that in the description for people l- listening to the podcast. But because of the way we've discussed this, I might well share the video side on YouTube if you're happy with that. Kelly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, go for it. So there are going to be two different ways that people can listen or view this. And it just leaves me to say a massive, massive thank you. I am so glad we've connected. I learn from you every time we connect. And I know that the audience does as well. Your knowledge is phenomenal. And just everything, the help and advice you could give to businesses, to people just listening, it it's just wonderful and I just it just leaves me to say and thank you like I said I'm so grateful that you're now part of my network and that I can get to talk to you and share your your pearls of wisdom with my audience thank you so well well thank you so much for having me Pearl I really appreciate it and I just I love our dialogue because we have a lot of common uh, connections and commonality in our past so thank you very much thank you Thank you for listening to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.